This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk. Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm Paul Newton. I'm the director of the Cambridge Assessment Network Division. Um, that's an outfit that's responsible for this seminar programme. Uh, I'm very pleased to be able to introduce to you Professor Richard Doherty. Uh, Richard is Honorary Professor in the School of Social Sciences at Cardiff University uh, and an Emeritus Professor at University of Wales, Aberystwyth. Um, that much you may, not, you may know, but what you won't know, I shouldn't think, is that he's just been appointed as the Acting Director of the Oxford University Centre for Educational Assessment. So congratulations, Richard, on that. Uh, that is a acting director. Acting, it's a, it's a temporary position until a permanent replacement for Gordon Stanley can be found. Um, Richard's career to date has been very distinguished, um, both in assessment and in education more broadly, having been uh, a senior examiner, president of the Geographical Association, uh, chairman of the Curriculum Council for Wales, long-term member of the Assessment Reform Group um, and a member of the Academy for the Learned Societies and the Social Sciences, to name but a few. Um, his most recent fame, I think, has come uh, with the Doherty Review of National Curriculum Assessment Arrangements in Wales, which is a report published in 2004, uh, the recommendations of which were both accepted and implemented. So that's a particularly impressive achievement. Uh, so, Richard, it's great to have you in Cambridge. I uh, look forward to a thought-provoking seminar and a good discussion afterwards. I'll try and live up to the, to, to the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> and I, sh- I should say that the uh, handouts for this session are here, but you can't have them just yet, which has asked me to um, hang on to them till after the session, so we'll hand them out at the end. If you forget, um, remind me to um, hand them round. I will do. OK, Richard, over to you. Thank you. Well, thanks for the introduction, Paul. It is a pleasure for me to be here, and it's a genuine opportunity for me to have some discussion with you, as will become apparent, I hope, from what I say. I'm not just here to say a few things. I hope very much that you will come back to me on various aspects of what I say and engage in a discussion which I think is important, and I don't think we've we've talked about it enough amongst ourselves, those of us who are interested in assessment. Uh, That's my topic. We've all talked a lot about summative assessment by teachers, but how often have we talked about designing a system that is fit for purpose? Um... I I first became interested in this uh, when I was an A-level chief examiner a very long time ago, um, late 1970s, early 80s, it is a long time ago. There was I as an examiner presiding over this well-established and very thorough procedure that led ultimately to the award of A-level grades. And in between just doing the job, I found myself thinking, what are these judgments? Who's making them? How are they being made? On what basis? And even why? (laughs) And that has stayed with me ever since uh, because it was the start of my interest in what criteria are being used to make judgments about the standards of student performance. What I see as the holy trinity of assessment, criteria, standards and judgment. Actually, just as an aside, my stint as chief examiner was also memorable because it coincided with the government of the day deciding that there should be a common core at A-level in the main subject. Um, and this was news to the examining boards, not welcome news either. 
Um, and they then decided that uh, there would be working groups comprised of the chief examiners from the different examining boards, and I was landed with chair in the geography one. It somehow turned out that the Welsh Joint Education Committee, where I was chief examiner, had the job of chairing the geography one. And uh, it gave me a taste of the politics of assessment, <laughs> not least when one of the examining boards decided they didn't want to play the Common Core game and they walked out of the work- working group. And yes, you've guessed it, the... <laughs> The, the examiners who boycotted the working group were from the University of Cambridge Local Examination Syndicate. <laughs> um, but I digress. What I'm saying really is that that's where my journey started with these ideas, and it's taken me through a lot of things since, but I'm still worrying about them, and I still have some uh, want to go on worrying about them because I think they're important. We do, whether we like it or not, design large-scale systems of assessment, and we do sometimes want teachers to make judgments within them. Uh, My worry is we don't do it very well. We haven't done it very well, certainly in this country. What I want to do is in three parts. First, to take you through some of my own thinking, based on my research and the research of others and on experience of assessment policy about teachers' judgments in that kind of system. Secondly, to suggest a simple model uh, of how such systems work or don't work. And third, and more briefly to refer to some recent evidence about those systems. And as I say, some of you will have interesting evidence and experience to to bring to bear on these questions. My first point that I want to argue is that we're dealing with a process. Now, that may seem to be self-evident, but one of the problems I think we have in conceptualising assessment systems is they tend to be seen as a series of events for example, in examinations, task setting, um, awarding, or whatever, any stage of the process is seen as an event in its own right, when it's actually part of a, a bigger process. We don't often, in my experience at least, think about it as a process or discuss it as a process. And yes, of course there are critical stages, but we do need to understand what is going on in terms of a process, a process to which human judgment is central. And this was brought home to me the first, by the first piece of assessment research I ever did. This is taking me back a long way to when I was a very junior researcher and trying to find out how to do a bit of research. So I, I'm glad to say the report of the research is hidden away somewhere because it's not terribly good research. But I think the topic was interesting and the ideas were OK. It's just I wasn't very confident in the way I was doing it. What I did in the mid-1980s, I followed through um, two different 16-plus schemes in geography, my subject, um, you know, the 16-plus pilot schemes that preceded GCSE, I followed through the examiners right the way through, from the question setting through the mark schemes right the way through to the standardising awarding and so on, right the way through the whole process. Uh, I was a fly on the wall at each of these stages, and I was very grateful to the exam board for giving me the opportunity to do that. It's a very interesting experience if you... I'd been in the middle of it. I'd been on the other side originally as an A-level chief examiner, but here I was sitting in on all these meetings. And most of what was happening related to the time set piece examination because it was mainly the, the bulk of the credit was going to the, uh, the, the, the examination papers. And that was interesting in its own right. But what really got to me was what was happening in relation to the, both schemes to coursework because a proportion of the marks in both of the schemes were allocated to the, the coursework, which was being marked by the teachers. So it's teacher-based judgments within a large-scale system. And um, within the report... Um, 
we, sorry about this diagram. It's, it, it, the detail doesn't matter. It's, it, it's not one that lends itself to projection on a screen, even when you... I mean, it's taken from the report itself. But the, I hope you can get the idea. What I was trying to do was come up with a simple descriptive model to characterise the process through which the decisions were t- taken. And on the left is the process relating to the terminal examinations. On the right is the process relating to coursework. The different participants are listed across the top of each half of the diagram, chief examiner, team leader, assistant examiner, and so on, board officer. Yeah? And then, of course, the marks for the two parts were combined, and then there's the final stages leading to awarding and borderlining. So it's that kind of diagram. And the detail doesn't matter. But what I'm really saying to you, this is where I started. That was the process I had been observing, and my interest is only, at the moment, this, e- this evening, in the right-hand side of the diagram. It's how people were making judgments about the coursework which had been marked by the teachers of those students. In fact, the two schemes in question were operating very differently. Uh, It was a good job. My brief was to be a researcher analysing what was going on because if I'd have been an evaluator, I would have found it very difficult to find words to describe one of the schemes, which was absolutely abysmal in its ability to exercise any sort of quality control over the judgments being made by teachers. It didn't look good from the outside. The teachers themselves had no confidence in it. And as soon as I'd been on the inside, I thought, well, you're quite right to have no confidence whatsoever. It was absolutely hopeless. And it's one example of many as to why GCSE coursework didn't build confidence, because there were too many such schemes in too many subjects for people to have confidence in the coursework being undertaken and moderated in a way that you could believe in the whole thing. The other one was one of the best examples. I had the extremes. It was a very, very well-designed and well-operated system of coursework moderation. I mean, it didn't just involve moderation. It involved an iterative process every year. They reviewed the criteria, for example, and revised them annually in order to take account of the experience of the previous year's scheme, including feedback from the teachers. I mean, it was good. But I wasn't evaluated. I was just analysing. <laughs> so I'm glad I, 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 it would have been embarrassing to evaluate them. And that was where I was. And I'm not going to stop there long. I just wanted to establish that as the kind of process I'm interested in and was trying to understand at the time. And now, you'll be relieved to hear I'm not going to now go on through a blow-by-blow account of coursework, teacher-based assessment in the GCSE or a national curriculum assessment, and that would take a very long time and you'd be bored stiff. Much has been written on those subjects, much of, some of it by me, and you may want to bring your own experience to bear in the discussions this evening. Um, but I want to skim over that because as I... I've already made clear, I think both GCSE coursework and National Curriculum Teacher Assessment were, on the whole, a very sorry story of missed opportunities. It could have been so much better, and they weren't, um, if we'd thought about designing them better and tried to implement them more effectively, we'd have been further on in uh, establishing teacher-based assessment as having a place. I'm not going to go incidentally into the arguments about validity. I mean, I, I'm, I'm taking it in this audience that in principle, at least, there is a a case to be made for a better validity from a wider range of tasks to undertake an in-context performance. I mean, I I know what what, what you would bring to that, and we can argue it if you want to, but I'm accepting the validity argument for having some element of teacher-based assessment within a a larger-scale scheme. Not all of it, some element, I say. Um, But before I move on, I do want to use the experience of National Curriculum Assessment to make my second main point. The first point was um, about process. Now, as some of you remember only too well, the the, the TGAP blueprint for National Curriculum Assessment had teacher assessment as central 
uh, to the whole design. But it soon became, of course, an unhelpful sideshow as the government saw tests as the only way to obtain the data they wanted. I mean, I know that only too well because I was a member of the School Examinations and Assessment Council from 1988 to 91, so I was in the middle of all that happening and at the centre, and it's, it's not a happy story. One lesson I argued then that should have been learned and wasn't from summative teacher assessment in the national curriculum is that any large-scale system of teacher-based judgment for high-stakes purposes necessarily requires some kind of tiering of structure within it, something which has different levels within the the way it operates. Something like this. This is an attempt to express what I'm trying to say. That you have at the bottom of the pyramid individual teachers not necessarily in status I'm just talking about the design of it individual teachers making initial judgments of student performance okay you should have some sort of internal moderation judgments by groups of teachers within the centres you then in my view should have cross moderation that cuts across centres but is not necessarily maybe local and regional in scale and then presumably if you've got a a large scale system you have quite a lot of people who are exercising the moderating verification function. You have a a fair number of people doing that. So you have them engaged in in some kind of process of looking at the centre judgments. And ultimately you have to ensure that the moderators and verifiers are working as far as possible to a common standard. Now, there may be five levels or less, but the principle is what I'm trying to argue. And one of the things I hope we'll discuss is for those of you for whom vocational qualifications is more of your experience, you might well have something to contribute to that, because that's not, I mean, I know of it, obviously, and I've kept abreast of it from the outside, but I haven't had direct involvement in vocational qualification, and there there is probably, I might guess, and you may disillusion me, but actually a a little bit better experience there of trying to do something like that. There has been at least a sense of different levels within the systems that people have been trying to implement. And so, there are judgments being made at different levels by many individuals and at different stages in the overall process. And unless there's some kind of structure to guide and link those judgments, the outcomes, of course, inevitably will be flawed. Uh, And in relation to this diagram, there are three linked questions. First, is each tier actually there in the design of the system? Secondly, has each tier been well designed? Thirdly, how well designed it is in principle... Is it effective in practice in enhancing the consistency of judgment? Yeah? Is it there? Has it been well designed? And is it effective in doing what it's supposed to do to try and ensure the maximum consistency of judgment across the different people involved making the judgments? It seems odd to me. It's taken as read in relation to tests examinations that the judgments of individual markers must be overlain by a number of procedures. I mean, anybody who works in the examinations and test business knows that. I mean, you you don't just let individual markers mark scripts and get on with it and accept without some kind of procedures overlaying them. But it seems obvious to me that an equivalent set of procedures is needed to monitor and adjust the judgments of teachers in systems where the teacher makes the initial judgment. But my experience is, in this country certainly, we often haven't been able to answer even the first question, my first question, is each tier actually there in the system design, in the, in the positive? The, the, tier, the tiers haven't been there at all. People haven't thought they should be there. And as it happens with national curriculum assessment, of course it was here in East Anglia 
that Mary James and Colin Connor did work with several local LEAs to try to develop procedures for the, the middle level, cross-moderation of judgment across several centres, across uh, several EAs, in fact, in East Anglia. Um, and, but, of course, the national policymakers in London weren't interested. Uh, the people looking at these things from the top down in Notting Hill Gate decided that a few feeble booklets distributed to schools in large numbers at great cost would suffice. Well, of course it wouldn't. I mean, it's just a complete waste of money. And yet, there were people within the system who saw the necessity to have that kind of uh, checks and balances built in, but they weren't listened to. As the song has it, when will they ever learn? What I want to do next taking on from there is to propose a simple model as a way of looking at the standardising of teacher judgments that will I hope be helpful but again it's a proposition about what form this model should take um, and whether the components within it are the right components so you may well want to come back at me on that for this I want to use the metaphor of links in a chain I mean, this is a very familiar one to those who know Terry Crooks his article on the threats to validity uh, and uh, Terry and his co- colleagues uh, have that diagram in that article uh, from assessment and education um, which uh, attempts to represent and you don't need to go into the detail to understand what they're really saying is there are several links in the chain and if any one, chain, any one link is weak the whole thing falls down you know you can have the most brilliant administration, but if you, 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 the way in which you generalise from uh, combined scores or any one of those links is flawed, then the whole thing fa- falls down because the validity has been damaged by the weak, weak link. And the, the point I'm trying to make is I think we can use the same metaphor. It's, it's a very simple metaphor, but the same metaphor and apply it to the question of using teacher-based judgments within large-stage systems and blight, in other words, may need to reliability I'm as well, whereas anybody that reliability and validity are interdependent, but I'm talking here, above all, about uh, reliability. So what are the links in the chain that would spell out to what we might call the threats threats to reliability? And uh, the first five... uh, The reason I've got a... uh, uh, This... Some of this argument is in that reference, which has come out. It's, um, it only costs £2,400, the encyclopedia, doesn't it, Mary, or something like that? It's, uh, it is, what? It's, oh, it's online, is it? OK, well, that's good. Uh, so, so some of this argument is in there, and, the, and an elaboration of these points is in there if you want to follow it up. Um, but, but some of this is blindingly obvious. Uh, firstly, if you've got a, a type of task... Uh, some kind of framework is needed, in my view, to ensure an acceptable degree of commonality in what it is that's going to be judged without undue constraints on flexibility. There is a balance to be struck, is there not, between allowing those who are undertaking the task to do what the hell they like um, and having saying, well, we want this type of task to be undertaken in order for the teacher to be able to make a judgment which is potentially comparable with the judgment of another task in the same category. Now, that's, as you all know, not easy to do, but the, the, I'm identifying a link in the chain that is, needs to be carefully designed. And I, would, I think it's important to make a distinction between that and the next one, which is task conditions. 
There is a t- there's a question about the type of task, and there's also the question of the conditions under which the task is undertaken. And this is where the whole control assessments thing has gone forward in, in GCSE more recently. Um, again, a balance between unmanageable diversity and test-like specification on the other. There's no point in, in, in having the task type and the task conditions so closely specified, you might as well give the students the test instead. <laughs> you lose all the potential validity benefits, don't you? You have to find somewhere which enables you to give flexibility without uncontrolled diversity. I mean, in this connection, of course, the main dangers are um, uh, to do with... I mean, of course, it, it may well be that the work isn't actually the work of the students uh, themselves. I mean, uh, I remember going for a walk in the early days of GCSE uh, in a, down a valley near where I live, and um, the uh, father was stood in the stream making the measurements, <laughs> and, the, and the, the son, the GCSE candidate, obviously was busy writing down what father was telling him. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> we all know the problems associated with it, but that's, that's the link I'm talking about. Um, which teacher's judgments? Um, I, I think there's a, there's a question here. I mean, we always seem to be saying it must be the teachers who teach the students. Um, the important thing for me seems to be it's the teacher in the context in which the students are working. And in principle, at least, you've got an option there. But, but, there's, that's, that's, but there, we need to define who's making the judgment, in the initial judgment. Who is it who makes the initial judgment? And then you can build the structures on top of that. Um, now, I shouldn't have put criteria and performance standards together in the same bullet point. That, that's, that's probably not what I should be doing because I'm trying to argue against putting criteria and performance standards in the same category. Uh, and I, I was um, in that... Uh, um, I mean, I, I, it's one of my bugbears that people tend to equate them, merge them, confuse them. That, I mean, to quote Roy Sadler, a criterion refers to a property, quality, characteristic or attribute of a student response the quality, characteristic or attribute of a student response. It's distinct from a standard, refers to a particular degree or level of quality. And there's too much of our discussions about criteria and standards blurs that distinction, which is absolutely crucial in my mind. And in, in systems of teacher-based assessment, you actually have to make that decision because the people who are making them, all the hundreds or thousands of people around in the system, have to know what they're doing. This is a list of criteria which tells you the kind of thing you should be looking for. And this is what we're doing to help you make a judgment of standard. And, and that, that, if, you, if, if you're not doing that, then they're probably not going to do it at all. So that's, a, that's one of my, point, my, my main concerns about all this. Um, and what the, 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 the last one, um, I, I just want to make this point with some emphasis as well, because you know, we're talking about teacher judgment, teachers making judgment of student performance. But teachers make judgments all the time, every minute of the day, about student performance. What matters to them, and their students for that matter, is why they're doing it. What are the inferences that are going to be drawn from the judgment they're making? And I think, um, even with the best of GCSE coursework, we weren't always clear about the judgment being made in order to feed into a judgment about the overall performance of the student, and that's why you're doing it. You, know, and you knew you were doing it, and you knew you, you had to do it because it was part of your job as a teacher. But, and the other point, the much bigger point, of course, is that drawing inferences about the certification of individuals is fundamentally different from drawing inferences from aggregate data about the quality of schooling. 
and the person who's making the judgment will know what they're supposed well, they don't know. The part of the problem is they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. They're, they're expected to be doing all these things at the same time. And you can't make good inferences, you can't go in good judgments unless you're clear as to what the judgments are for. So it isn't just a matter for the people designing the system, it's a matter for the individuals who are making the judgments. That the, the nature of the inferences that, that are to be drawn from the judgments are explicit. The other, I don't know whether this distinction is very useful. I've talked about structures now, systems of seizure-based structures. I'm not sure the distinction between process and structures is actually very helpful, but I've made it. Um, One of the things it seems to me we need is is that, you know, if if you're involved in, as some of you are, in in running um, large schemes of test-based, large test-based systems, you know only too well that the way the, the individual markers or moderators or whoever they are understand their job is absolutely critical. They may, be, may not be very capable, but they've got to be, they have to have a clear sense of what they're doing and how, how, how it should be done. And I think we need explicit procedures. This is different from understanding the criteria. These are the procedures you should be undertaking in order to uh, make those judgments. The next two points... Um, one of the things I'm trying to draw attention to here is that when we have, um, I, in the article itself, I've used um, the National Monitoring Project in New Zealand as one of the case studies in, the, in that encyclopedia chapter. And I've used it deliberately to make the point that if we're talking about large-scale systems, we're not necessarily talking about teachers press into judging their own students because they have to because it's part of their job. You actually could be looking at a system where there are teachers who are trained to do the job and bring with it some expertise to start with. Even if you don't, you can't design the whole system unless you start by asking what expertise do the people have in the first place. It's a link in the chain which is distinct from what training you give them after they are on the system. And as we all know, um, I keep reading it, I read it this week, um, it's one of the weakest aspects of schooling, that, the, that the, the limited awareness and limited skill with assessment is one of the problems that, 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 that is to be found from inspection reports left, right and centre. That you're talking about a national system where many of the people who are going to make it the judgments have a very limited experience of and understanding of making those judgments. So there's a, there's a problem with expertise to start with. And it's interesting, if you know the um, Vermont portfolio experiment, which is another of my case studies, um, which Corets did a very good evaluation of in the States, um, they moved very quickly from the teachers of the students themselves doing the judgment to bringing training in and then the teachers of... The, sorry, the judgments were made by other teachers who had been trained to make them. Still, they were still trying to sustain the, the base thesis, but they, they said, we can't run a system which has own, every teacher, irrespective of their competence doing something important. We have, to, we have to have some controls over the expertise that the, student, the, the teachers are bringing to this task. And then, of course, you have ongoing training and support. Um, even, though, even the best uh, teachers who are very familiar with how to make such judgments need ongoing training and support. Um, and my favourite example of that, of how not to do it there, is the GCSE Cascade training system. I was a, I was a trainer in those days. And uh, it was wonderfully well-funded. It's like a lot of things associated with the introduction of GCSE. I was a member of the Great Criteria Working Party in my 70s as well. We sat for 40 days creating something which was a nonsense to start with. But um, it was well-funded. I was seconded for 40 days in the year, which is big time, a lot of money involved. And then they put all the money into training and support GCSE. 
pre-implementation. All of it. All of it. I mean, that's the last thing you should do. I mean, I was, of, because it was part of my job, subsequently doing training sessions for teachers, and they were much, much more productive a year on, two years, three years on, because all the teachers had started to understand what it was, and they all had their own experience to bring to bear, and the training was just so much more effective. Whereas I'd been doing equivalent training stuff. So, People don't understand that. Politicians in particular don't understand that. They say, oh, we've got a new thing coming in. There must be something. To, if we're going to give money at all, we'll, we'll, put it, we'll front load it and then get on with it. It's wrong. It's not what's needed. And then, of course, you've got quality assurance and control, which is the last of my nine links. And we're taking uh, here... Um, into, we're getting into uh, moderation, and I'm not going to say any more about moderation. I could do. It's a favourite topic of mine. But we're talking... What I want to make the point here is that moderation is only one, one link in the chain. You have to have procedures for quality assurance and control, but there's a tendency to think teacher-based assessment systems, moderation, good result. And I'm trying to argue that moderation is only one of the aspects of designing a good system. And they're going to argue about all the different models of moderation, and we, we will do. Let me come instead to my, the third point in my argument. Assessment systems, well-designed or not, don't exist in a vacuum. They're for a purpose. They're more often supposed to be serving several purposes at the same time. And my title for this seminar includes the words designing a system that's fit for purpose. So what do I mean by fit for purpose? <clears throat> well, uh, Paul Newton has written famously, or is it notoriously, Paul, about the multiple purposes of assessment. Um, and I'm not going to go into all that. But in the best tradition of assessment specialists, I have my own categorization. And um, it's just a simple three-way categorization because um, <clears throat> the question really isn't about purposes it's how the data will be used which, which is the, the really important question what happens to the data about performance uh, that has been gathered from this process um, and uh, we have performance innovation in, for, to my mind performance information about individual pupils for use within schools or between schools and for parents we have performance information on individuals which is used for higher stakes record of a game, such as certification. And we have, um, I think, the real division is between two and three more than one and two, because once you start aggregating data about individual performance, you're into a whole different territory, um, statistically as well as judgmentally. <laughs> um, and I don't think we often enough underline that if you want to use data that way, you've got to ask a whole different set of questions. And politicians naturally want you to design a system that will do all three perfectly, especially with the same instruments, preferably, and cheaply as possible. But those of us who are involved in, in thinking about these things know that isn't realistic. So if you look, for example, at um, <coughs> the current national curriculum assessment in England of 11-year-olds at the end of Key Stage 2, um, now... This isn't a difficult test. Uh, which do you think is the main purpose that drives the system of assessment of 11-year-olds at the end of Key Stage 2 at the moment in England? I'm assuming you will answer the third, that it's certainly to government the one that matters most because they've wanted from the outset in the sense of having uh, something they can use to make judgments about the quality of schooling, they've wanted some indicator of the performance, the, 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 the test performance of, of children at the, at the age of 11 and they're looking for a high-stakes indicator for that accountability purpose. <clears throat> now, I'm not going to take that any... But I'm making the point about linking between purpose and, and practice. And I'm not going to take that any further because I want to make it clear that I wouldn't begin to state a case for teacher judgment having a role in such a system. It seems to me 
It's like a beauty contest in which we're all invited to judge ourselves. And not a happy prospect, nor one that's likely to produce a reliable result. You're effectively asking teachers, they know what they're doing, they're being asked to produce the performance indicators for their own performance. It seems to be silly even to try doing that, but we, we kind of have been doing it. And one of the interesting things about GCSE, is, if those of you who have been around long enough know that originally that wasn't a strong factor. It was seen as individual certification, and the use of GCSE grades as a school quality indicator is post-dates the introduction of GCSE. It wasn't there from the outset. So that what was originally done with the same traditions as CCSE CSE and O-level in terms of individual teachers honourably making fair judgments about their own students was then distorted by the government's requirement to use the aggregate data to, as a performance indicator for the school and that's part of the problem it seems to me we've had since then. When we were reviewing the national assessment system in Wales uh, 2003-04 um, the minister, the, the lead came from the minister, the minister said we are very concerned about the educational transition from primary to secondary schools. Um, that's a major policy driver. It's something we're requiring all schools to do to introduce transition plans, primary and secondary schools. And we think, essentially, at the moment, that the social transition is managed quite well, but the educational transition isn't managed well in many cases. Uh, there's a discontinuity in the educational experience across primary and secondary schools. It's easier in Wales because we... Everybody in the state system transfers at 11 in Wales. We don't have any middle schools. It's also easier in that all secondary schools are non-selective. So we do have the language differences and we have faith schools, but they're all, it's possible to envisage a single system to cover the transition from primary to secondary for the whole country. And, and uh, that's the cover of the report that our group produced in 2004, and so what, what we did was ask the question, what would a summative teacher assessment system look like if the main aim was to make it fit for the purpose of helping each child to transfer with the minimum of disruption to the education of that child? And in outline, this is what we came up with. Sorry, pointing at the wrong place. Um, we came up with a, a cluster group system um, in which every year six teacher plus selected secondary teachers in the four core subjects, we've got four core subjects in Wales, was involved. The main purpose, as I say, was to facilitate transition, understood by the minister as well as by us. That's what it's about. The moderation model is one of catchment-based clusters of a, of a single secondary school linked with its feeder primary schools. Uh, the support structures include designated insect days, two days a year set aside in addition to the other insect days for this purpose. LEA support and WAG as well as Assembly Government support materials distributed to guidance materials produced centrally. And, and the context was, as I say, the statutory requirement for every school to have a transition plan in place, including arrangements for end of key stage two moderation. Now, four questions I want to ask about this uh, approach. First, will it help meet the purpose for which it's designed? Well, the this is still to be seen because it's still being out, rolled out at the moment. I think it will because it, it's intended to, to build trust in the judgments of primary teachers so that secondary teachers can make better use of them than they would do otherwise because they've actually sat down with the primary teachers, the particular primary teachers in question, yes, in their local area, most of whom are responsible... Sorry, 
they're responsible for most of the children that go to their secondary school. Not all, obviously, but there's a sense in which they're meeting on a regular basis to talk about standards, to look at work, and to try and reach some greater understanding of what uh, a level four or whatever it might mean in, uh, in relation to the core subjects. Uh, my second question, does it have all nine links in the chain? I'm, I'm not sure about it. Most of them are there. <laughs> um, you know, I think I'd have to come back to the, the nine links in the chain that I'm putting to you now come after the job we did here. So I, mean, I haven't actually gone back to it and said, oh, is each link in there? Is it right? I hope the first question, is it there, will be right, but we'll see. Uh, the third question I want to ask, will it serve purposes other than transition? Well, I would argue that it will to some extent, that parents should receive more valid and more reliable information about their own children if that information has had... uh, The way in which the judgments are being made has gone through a process of different teachers attempting to look at their standards and trying to come to a common understanding about standards. And I also think schools and LEAs can use the aggregate data alongside other sources. Um, commercial tests are still selling very well in Wales. I mean, people like the idea that uh, because we don't have national curriculum tests, there's no testing going on is a complete myth. Uh, the, the people who produce the commercial tests will tell you they're doing very well, thank you. Schools still want to give kids tests, and they do as they ever did. The fourth question, though, is, is the aggregate data reliable enough as a high-stakes accountability measure? I would say absolutely not, and it wasn't intended to be. If somebody says to me, will that produce a reliable results that will allow you to make a, uh, a judgment about the standard being applied in this school in South Wales and this school in North Wales, well, well no, because it's actually a system... It would have to have several layers in it for that. It's actually a system that's local clustering for local educational purposes, and until you put the other layers in, you won't have, and I don't claim you will, and you lose out because of that. But what I'm saying is it's about main purposes... If you you want that, then you have to go down a different route. But if you want a really good educational tool for transition purposes, then perhaps we should be going, as we are, down this route. Now, the only independent overview of the system so far is in a report by the Welsh Inspectorate, which came out earlier this year. So uh, the Welsh Assembly Government doesn't seem to be interested in evaluating it, which is a disappointment to me. Not that I want to do the evaluation. I'd be interested in somebody else doing an evaluation of it because I think that would be very insightful, give us a lot of ideas about how a system of this kind is operating. I rely on anecdote at the moment, including the fact that my uh, son-in-law is a year six teacher in a a primary school in our part of the world, so I do get some direct information about one cluster. (laughs) Um, But um, these are some quotes from the the inspector in Wales, it's called Estin, And this is their report. There are some quotes from uh, the report. Evaluation of the arrangements to assure the consistency of teacher assessment and the core subjects are key stage two and three. The first three quotes are the good news. Uh, The last two are not such good news. The last point is an interesting one, that they they share the standard, but then they find it difficult to implement the stage standard in what they do. And that's, that's that's a real point of importance. The, the penultimate point, the, d- the data in the report tells you that less than half of the schools, primary schools, are using both assigned days for this purpose. Less than half of the schools. I mean, okay, nine out of ten say the cluster process is working well, but they're actually trying to do it short time. They're trying to do it in less time than it really needs. And the thing, that is, the thing that's suffering as a matter of interest is not the standardising bit, but the moderating bit. If you think about it, they are meeting early in the school year to look at children's work with the 
math specialist or whatever from the secondary school, and they're getting a lot of benefit from that. When it comes to the actual end of key stage judgment made by the teacher in that school, it's not being moderated. It, the system is supposed to involve standardising and moderating, and they're not using the time they've been allocated. I just stand that when we roll out a new assessment system, some schools feel free to do as little as possible, don't they? And certainly less than it's supposed to do. Um, those of you in awarding bodies know that only too well when you've tried to introduce a new scheme. Uh, it's, it's a perennial problem, but why? why? Why are they not using... It's the same with inset days, isn't it? I know enough teachers to know that there are many schools I know where all five inset days are actually used for professional development. Quite a lot of them are used for tidying up the classroom or doing the marking or whatever else they're used for. So the, the notion that five inset days would give a better quality professional development to the school system is not really... That's a, that's a, but it's the same point about this. The, the, the necessary time is not being used for the purpose it was intended. OK, to sum up... My, my, uh, let me sum up now. That's just a case study of one system that we've designed recently and is now rolling out, and we'll have some imperfections in it, but I think it has some good features too, which are worth following and worth improving upon. Yeah? So my argument is that, firstly, we should conceptualise systems of summative teacher-based assessment in terms of a process, which will need to be at least as complex as the process that there is, there are, the processes that there are in exam-based systems. One of the advantages those of you who run examining boards have is that most of your procedures are in private, whereas one of the problems with teacher-based systems is the judgments made by individual teachers are essentially public. You know, if you think of the thousands of teachers, each one of them, the judgments they're making is, are seen by the students and their parents. Your worst markers are quietly pensioned off or remarked or whatever you do. The flaws in your systems are... Uh, less obvious, you hope. Um, but with a teacher-based system, by definition, the judgments are being made in a relatively public arena. And so unless you have a, a, a system that is going to have some kind of control over the initial judgments, you're going to be widely seen to be inadequate. And that's why I say the second argument is the tiered structure is essential, and the third argument is fitness for purpose. I'm going to stop shortly, but I've just got a few more quotes I want to put in front of you. Um, <clears throat> uh, this, th these quotes are taken from... I haven't included it just because I'm about to become acting director of the Oxford Centre for Educational Assessment, but um, this is a report which Gordon Stanley and others did, you may or may not have seen it, last year, commissioned by QCA to inform their thinking on APP, Right, assessing pupil progress. And what they did was, uh, the commission was to look around the world at systems of teacher-based assessment and draw any helpful conclusions they could from those systems that might help inform the, the way in which APP developed in England. If you are interested and haven't seen it, it is on the OUCEA website. You can, you can get the report there if you haven't seen it before. But... I think it's pulling together in a way I haven't seen done before, some of the experience. There's a tendency in this country to say certificate, certification involving teachers are ah, Queensland. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a, there's a, there's the highest certificate in Queensland is always being quoted as an example of how it can be done. 
what that team did was take that evidence and other evidence and say, this is what's being done at other levels in other parts of Australia and elsewhere, and this is what we might be able to learn from it. And uh, I, I, I need to go back to it myself to, to, to look at it again to see what else I can pick up from it because it's, it's a useful exercise in uh, looking across the world to see what we can learn from other systems. And the last part I think is particularly interesting. You know, the teachers increasingly be seen as the primary assessor. Teachers are also uh, setting of standards. Teachers involved in the setting of standards. And the third area is in the moderation of school assessments. Well, wish it were true, more true of this country than it, than it has been in the past. I've got one more quote for you, and then I'll stop. Um, here's my last quote, um, inevitably from Black and William. Um, the piece uh, they wrote about an OECD, they did an OECD survey a few years back, and, res- and they wrote it up as large-scale assessment systems, design principles drawn from international comparisons. Looked across a lot of different systems and then tried to draw out from that what they recall design principles. And this is the quote which I think is one of the most telling. We're back to beauty contests again, and at this point I should withdraw and sit down. Okay, thank you very much. This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk.